you know a lot about golf. Well, we're waiting. And that means it is time for us. We are those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. He is Jeff Smith. Uh, the Masters is over, so the golf season is in full swing. Absolutely. If you're part of As we all know, mm-hmm. no matter what part of the country you live in, but the official start of the golf season, the moment when the gun goes off is Masters week. That's Everybody right. knows it. Let's not deny it. Yes, there are professional events beforehand. Yes, there are people in the South playing golf before then. Yes, yes, yes. I got to tell you, I was there this weekend on Mm -hmm. the rainy day. Drew and I, my son Drew and I, we met in Atlanta. He flew from Hillsdale, Michigan, from Detroit, and I flew from sunny South Florida. We met in Atlanta, rented a car, got a hotel. Yes, this is all pre-planned. Mm-hmm. He did not know it. He thought he was meeting me at Atlanta for some cockamamie reason <laughs> that he couldn't figure out for the life of him. He kind of thought he was getting a new car and going to drive it home. I think that's really what he thought he was was really oh, happening. Okay, so, so, so a day at the Masters and he's still disappointed. <laughs> so we had we had a big gigantic wool blanket and we pulled it over his eyes, <laughs> and he had no clue as to why he was really there until. I met him in the airport and I had on uh, a golf shirt that had the master's logo on it. Mm -hmm. And he, of course, because he's such a golfer, he knows it's Saturday at the masters. He knows he's in Augusta. I mean, he knows he's two hours from Augusta. He's chomping at the bit because we had been to the pearly gates before. Right. He's dying to go. So he did not really know. I had finagled him a ticket for Saturday. So we had appropriate rain gear. Okay. His wife packed his bag with the rain gear in it for him, and I had my rain gear in it. So we were appropriately dressed. We got up from the hotel in the morning at five o'clock in the morning. We drove our two hours to Augusta and we got to this place where we met a guy and he handed us a ticket for drew and I got in because I'm a PJ member and I get to go to the will call for PJ members and sign my life away saying, I'm not going to walk out the gate and go sell right. it for $5,000. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then we went right in Cool. and we got to traipse around the grounds and he got to see amen quarter and the whole thing. And even though Saturday was cold and rainy and nasty and yuck. it was still Saturday at Augusta <laughs> National. Right. And Drew Eventually. had the egg salad sandwich and I had the pimento cheese and we wandered <laughs> the hallowed grounds and we did not get hit by a falling tree and we saw a wet perfect golf course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that place just hear, looks so good. We got to hear the sub air system sucking water out of the greens all day. Yeah. <laughs> when did they put that in? Cause that's, that's, you know, but I don't Jones know, but it's never really thought of something impressive. like that. <laughs> it's really impressive. I got to tell you. Yeah. I don't care yeah. what you're thinking about. That's cool. It is cool. Just the engineering cool. alone 
to have this gigantic vacuum system under the greens and green surrounds to suck water out of the green so that they're playable for mm. one stinking tournament. Oh, yeah, on a day when you have two inches of rain. Yeah. I mean, show me another golf course you could play after two inches of rain. I'm telling you. It's not. It was it was it was pretty bad in the afternoon. I gotta tell you, I I watch we watched uh Tiger play in the morning. Okay. We watched him finish his Friday round. Yeah. We were there when he hit the flag stick on 15. We were behind him watching him hit the shot. It hits the flag and spins back about 25 feet. Okay. And we go up to the green. Then we got to hear, there weren't a ton of people around at that point, but there was a bunch. And then Drew got to hear it for the first time, real live, up close and personal, a real live tiger roar. <laughs> the crowd went crazy because he hits it. I mean, that's the second time on 15 and that he's hit the flag stick. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And so he makes the birdie, the crowd goes wild. And Drew's looking at me like, wow, this is historical. I'm like, yeah, it is. Cause you actually got to see tiger woods make a birdie at Augusta national. You got to watch that. Yeah. Yep. And then we wandered the ground some more and he saw how amazing and hilly and beautiful and perfect everything. Is. I mean, it's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what you think perfect is. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> it's that. Yeah. So I'm not overly enamored with professional golf on this show. We don't really care about it. Right. But this is Augusta national. And we're talking about a golf course. Oh, and this, is this is beyond professional golf. This is perfect. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. We're walking up number eight on the left side where very few people trod. And that hole looks impossible. <laughs> on TV, it doesn't look so impossible. But when you get there and you look at this little sliver of a green mm -hmm. surrounded by these mounds, and you think to yourself, these guys are actually routinely hitting it onto and holding this itty bitty little sliver of a green from way downtown. Yeah. With nine irons up a, up a hill. <laughs> yeah. It's a freaking par five. Yeah. And you're looking at it like, I don't believe it. Yeah. I don't believe it. And you look down number one, you get to number one green and you look back and you move back down toward the T and you get about a nine iron in for these guys, which means it's about 160 yards away. And you look back toward the tee box and you're like, there's no chance in the world that there's any other hole, any other number one hole on any golf course that's as long and hard as this one. It's 454 yards, but every bit of the landing area is on a gigantic upslope. It's huge. You don't see it on TV. It looks rather flat mm -hmm. until you start walking. And about 50 yards below the fairway bunker, to about a hundred yards above the fairway bunker, you're basically just walking straight up. And that's why they said Tiger had to withdraw that the combination of the oh, weather, the cold, the damp. Oh, and we tried to, we watched him try to walk. There's no way this man was walking any more golf. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that he even played any of the third round. Cause we saw him finish trudging up number 18. I'm serious. He looked bad. I yeah. thought he was done. 
but he miraculously makes the cut, right? So he sets a record. And so he's got to tee off. Yeah. He's got to go play. Yeah. And he's laboring like you wouldn't believe. I mean, we're watching this live and I'm sitting there looking at Drew going, he ain't going to make it. Yeah. There's no way that's that dude is going to make it. He needs an ambulance more than he needs an, a golf club. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my story. Cool. That's what we got. You know, one of the things too, that, that we look at when we watch it on TV that we can't really appreciate unless you're there is, is just how smooth and how fast those greens are. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those guys putt, but, but they're leaving their putts, you know, three, four inches long or short or whatever, but they're, they're hitting it from, you know, 15 yards away and they're still rolling it up to almost into the cup. It's unreal. They don't stop rolling. Yeah. I, you know, I saw Brooks Kepka leave one short on the televised coverage on Sunday. And I'm like, you're not going to see that ever again in your life. It was it a bad putt. I don't think so. It's just, you just don't see them stop. You're there, you watch it, you're like, there's no chance. There's no chance. You see these hills because what you do when you walk there, you don't go just around the green. If you're a real golfer, you're going to go get it where your eyes are about the height of the green and you see the monster pitches in these greens. Mm -hmm. Remember when Gary McCord said they, you know, had bikini wax on them and they buried elephants under them and all that? Yeah. Uh Yeah. He was right. <laughs> well, it leads us to a question that we got from a, from a listener. You know, last week we told you you got a question, let us know. Well, we got yeah. a bunch of questions. And um, we're going to deal this week with a couple of them that uh, basically deal with short game. We got one guy who has no idea how to judge speed in a putt. And we yep. got another guy who, when he gets into a uh, greenside bunker, just writes down a triple bogey and walks off. We're going, <laughs> That's we're going the to bad that he writes it down. Going to help both <laughs> of those guys when we come right back. We are those weekend golf guys, so hang out with us. Before we go, though, I want to tell you about this new thing I got. It's called a Castle Flex. It's a piece of exercise gear, basically, is what it is. And it helps you stretch. And, you know, stretching is very important. Anybody will tell you before any round of golf, you get there early, you start stretching, and it's part of the routine to get ready to play, right? There's a guy named Castle Dan Castle. Now, Dan was struggling with herniated discs, and within a year of using his Castle Flex, his disc problems were gone. That's amazing, right? Well, you know who else believes in Castle Flex? John Rahm helped him win the aforementioned Masters Tournament, right? In fact, the Titleist Performance Institute introduced the Castle Flex to all of their members after seeing Rahm use it. I even took it to my chiropractor and I said, Hey, what do you think of this? So you say, what is a CastleFlex? Well, it's a patented device that allows a user to hold an easy-to-grip weighted brushed aluminum bar. Your foot goes into a specially designed foot hammock, and that pulls your toes, allowing your entire leg to get stretched. My chiropractor suggested I continue to use it, showed me a couple of the exercises that you can find on YouTube. So you need one of these things. Now, good news is for listeners of Those Weekend Golf Guys, you can get 10% off your order by going to CastleFlex.com and using the promo code WEEKEND10. That's weekend one zero. That's C A S T L E F L E X X dot com. That's right, two X's. And use the promo code weekend one zero, weekend ten for ten percent off. Castle Flex, it's the future of mobility.
Hi, this is John Ashton, and I am looking to eat better this year. If you have made the resolution to eat better this year, we have a deal for you that's going to make it so easy and delicious. It's called Green Chef. They are the number one meal kit for eating well. Now, no matter what kind of lifestyle you're looking for, let's say keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, even gluten-free, and whatever you choose, you can get it through Green Chef. Now, the recipes feature organic produce, premium proteins, sustainably sourced ingredients. And you know that if you do this Green Chef meal kit deal, you will reduce your food waste by up to 38% versus grocery shopping. You need to go to greenchef.com slash weekend60 and use the code weekend60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Greenchef.com slash weekend60 and use the code weekend60 to get 60 percent that's 60 percent off plus free shipping and it's us those weekend golf guys i'm john ashton he is jeff smith we are uh, helping a couple of our listeners this week with short game questions and it's, it's a question that, that I have asked Jeff many, many times, and I have never really gotten a straight answer. Depends. Yeah, it, <laughs> it depends. depends. I hate that answer. <laughs> I it's know his you. go-to answer for every question. You need uh, to ask better questions. <laughs> how do you judge <laughs> speed of a pot, especially when you play golf courses that vary so much in the speeds of the green? Oh, Yeah. They do, don't they? I mean, look, many of the golfers are playing at golf courses that they all cut their greens at the same height. So let's get over the nonsense that they must have cut this green differently than another. No, but let's let's talk about it for some some things so the regular person can average can understand. There are 18 different growing environments out there on the golf course. For example, one of them's up on the top of the hill and there aren't any trees around. And the next one is down in the valley by the creek and there's a ton of trees around. Guess which green holds more water? The one with the trees in the valley. Guess which one that the blades of grass have more water in them and therefore will be more thick and dense. Yeah, the one in the valley. So let's understand that, folks. That's it isn't that you go out to the golf course, you think all the greens on the front side were cut with mower number one, and all the greens on the back side were cut with mower number two, and they're not the same height. That would be wrong. They are the same height. Wrong. That doesn't mean that they all get the same amount of water density through them all the time. Some golf courses get hot in the summertime and they have to go out and what they call syringing. It's really just watering the high spots so they don't die. That's, the high spots thing. on some greens, of course, all the water drains away from it. But those parts of the golf, the greens are also faster. So this goes to how you should judge the speed of the green. Take a walk. First, how firm is it underfoot? It will be the rare golf course that is firm underfoot and slow in the roll. Firm equals fast. Write that down. And squishy equals slow. And it isn't because they didn't cut them. It's because it holds more water, so there's more friction. Thought number one is how you can judge the speed of a green. Second, if you wanted to do a couple of illegal things, you could put your hand on the green and wipe it back and forth and see how thick the blades of grass are and which direction they're growing, meaning 
Are they growing against the roll of your putt? If so, it's going to be slower. If it's growing in the same direction, you know, laying down in the same direction as their ball's rolling, it's going to be faster. Those aren't legal things to do, folks, but I see people doing them anyway. Mm -hmm. I've seen them drag their putter across the grain or, you know, down grain or up grain or whatever, right? I've seen them do lots of stuff. So if you care about the rules, fellas, you're not allowed to do that. Right. I've seen people do it. (laughs) Okay. We're not suggesting you do. How about you just step back behind your ball and take a look? Is the grass shiny when the sun gleams upon the back of it? If it's shiny, it's growing away from you in the same direction of your putt, which means that your putt will roll faster. And if you went around to the other side and you saw the grass as you looked back from behind the hole to your ball and it was dark, if you're looking at dark versus light, you're looking into the grain as the grass lays down and that putt going against that grain will be slower. All right. So without reaching down and touching the illegal way, mm-hmm. you can do it in a way that the rules say it's okay to do. And you can go look at your eyes and you can see what this is a little faster, a little slower. So we talked about the moisture in the greens already. And then we've talked about grain. What do you say? We just talk about walking the putt and finding out how uphill and how downhill the damn thing really is. Well, there's a novel approach. Yeah, I know it's a novel approach. As opposed to that, I'm just going to squat down for a split second before my knees pop and my pants split and guesstimate how uphill or downhill it is. Why not just take a handful of steps and walk your putt and ask yourself a question, how much uphill or how much downhill am I really walking? That's a way to help you figure out how fast your ball is going to roll, isn't it, folks? It, it should be. Let me give you a caveat on that because it's something that I, I tried to tell Jeff many, many times that that's a great technique for you. It doesn't work for me. But what I was doing was I was looking at my feet as I was walking. You're not supposed to look down when you do that because everything feels flat when you do that. It does, right? Because your brain is getting some information from your eyes that says flat because your mm-hmm. eyes are just looking downward at such a steep angle at the ground that your brain's getting some information that says flat, but your feet are telling you, hey, guess what? It ain't. So now we're not talking about side tilt and reading a putt yet. We're talking about the uphill to downhill nature of it, right? You're going to walk your putt for a couple of reasons, the uphill downhill nature of it and how firm is it? And at the same time, you're also going to be able to walk and you're going to take a peek at the grass from behind your ball and go, hey, how's the grain? Is it shiny or is it dark? So instantly I've given you three things that you can use to judge how fast your putt's going to be. I know this one's going to sound kind of funny to you, John, but I'm going to say it anyway. Given the fact that the golf courses use the same height of mowers on all 18 of their greens, they also use it on the putting green the same day. Chances are good if you actually ever went to the putting green before you played the game, you'd have a really good handle on the green speeds, uphills and downhills and long putts and medium putts and short cut, short putts, because you would actually get to the golf course early enough to go do that for the purpose of hitting at the right distance mm-hmm. and learning about these greens, because there is one for you to test out. They call it a putting green, but it's kind of sort of a tester green before you go play too. Or maybe that awful word practice. I know. Mm. That's why I tried to trick you there. Just call it a tester green. So that way you can go <laughs> test the speed of the greens. Because that's a way to go find out. It does work that way, you know. 
John, while you're there, now that you've decided, because I just put this idea in your head and done it on live radio, now that you've decided on your own, I might add, mm-hmm. um, to get to the golf course about 20 minutes earlier than normal, mm-hmm. you're going to go to the putting green after you check into the golf shop and you're going to go test the speeds and here's how you're going to go do it. You're going to take a handful of golf balls and you're going to stand in some asymmetrical part of the green and drop these golf balls at your feet. And you're going to turn one direction and put one ball toward the fringe and get it to stop at the edge of the fringe, right where the green mower gets cut. And then all of a sudden there's fringe, right? And then you're going to go to a different place from the next ball that's right there in that spot. You're going to turn to a different place. So that fringe will be just a little bit shorter or a little bit farther away. All of a sudden, you're just going to kind of make a semicircle of putts going away from you. Some will be uphill putts and some will be downhill putts. But all of them will be a different length because you went to an asymmetrical part of the green, which means it's not a circle and you're not standing in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're testing. I just want to put my ball to the fringe. Get it to stop at the fringe. Right. And then you'll like take your hat off and drop it on the ground or at your feet. And then you'll walk over to each one of those balls and put it back to your hat from its location now. So now you're putting the opposite putt. So if one was downhill, it's now uphill. If one was uphill, it's now downhill. Funny how that works. Right. And then you're working on nothing but speed control. Mm -hmm. Did I hit it hard enough? You see, what you're not going to do at this point, you're not going to putt at a hole. Right. Because you only want the feedback of did my ball go as far as I wanted my ball to go? Yeah, you want the speed, yeah, exactly. Right. And then after you do that a couple of times, then you're going to go putt a ball and you're going to say, I'm going to putt this first one 15 feet. And then I'm going to putt the second one 10 feet. Then I'm going to putt the third one right smack in between the two of them at 12 and a half feet. That's good math, isn't it? I'm impressed. I was gonna. I was waiting for the compliment to show up there, but that's that's the best math I got right there. So anyway, the point is, what I just said was one long, one short, and the other split the difference. Right. And then you'll go back and you'll do that a couple of times, and then you'll go back to those three balls and you'll say, "I'm going to put one short, one medium, and one long," but they're all going to be equal distance between the putts. Oh boy, you want to talk about getting the feel and the speed of the greens before you go tee off? Mm-hmm. You go do those two drills that I just told you a handful of times. You, sir, are ready to go. And then you also got to keep in mind, uh, you know, agronomy 101. If it's, you know, if it's it's protected from the elements in the sunshine, it's going to be wetter, thus slower. If it's on the top of a hill. Sitting out there baking in the sunshine. Baking in the sunshine and the wind. It's yeah. going to be faster. Faster, faster. Okay. It is. Very simple. And the other thing is go to the practice green and get there early and putt a few bowls. That's that's how you find out how the speed works and how to test, not just test, but but practice with that. We've got more. You ever been stuck in a bunker and just said, oh, the heck with it. I'm going to throw this out when no one's looking? Yeah, we know you have. (laughs) We'll be right back so you never have to do that again. Hang out with us. Of course, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash golf guys, 
We would love it if you were to go there and like us. We'd love it even more if you'd go there and follow us. Facebook.com slash golf guys. If you're one of those companies that stayed open during COVID, I have some great news for you. Government funds are available to reward companies who stayed open during that challenging time. It's not a loan. You don't have to pay it back. Your hard work to stay open could qualify you for up to $26,000 per employee at refundsasap.com. That's refundsasap.com. You heard that right. Up to $26,000 per employee. This program is complicated, but nobody knows more about it than the tax experts at refundsasap.com. You pay nothing up front. They do all the work. Then they share a percentage of the cash they get you. Businesses of all types, including nonprofits and churches, can qualify, including those who took PPP loans. If you have five or more employees, let refundsasap.com help you get up to $26,000 per employee. Visit refundsasap.com. That's refundsasap.com. Refundsasap.com. It is Estos Weekend Golf, guys. I'm John Ashton. He is Jeff Smith. Hinge it and thump it. Words to live by, man. I tell you, I learned that technique from Jeff a couple of years ago, and it has saved my life repeatedly around the green. I'll tell you, that shot has solved so many people's short game problems. There's a lot of times people will call it a lob, or they'll call it a flop, or they'll call it this, or they'll call it that, but those words aren't describing what you're doing. So I like to name my short game shots to describe the motion that I'm using to hit the shot. And the one that seems to stick in a lot of people's minds is when you swing back and you stand the club up, meaning thumbs up, the shaft goes up, the club head goes up, mm-hmm. right? I call that a hinge. And then you unhinge when you swing down and you thump the ground at the bottom of the golf ball. So I call it a hinge and thump Mm -hmm. and it's so simple but when you sit there and you go oh this is a perfect time for the hinge and thump well when would that be uh bunkers are a great idea you don't even have to open up the face of a club like most people think you do you can go in there with that sand wedge of yours because 56 degrees is a lot of up by the way folks 56 is a lot That's that's a lot of up in the face okay but when you're trying to thump and you use that sole plate of the club and you thump the sand dead below the golf ball, all that weight that's in the bottom of the club head just made a little mini explosion of sand right below your ball. You thumped downward, the sand explodes upward, and the ball comes out like one big white grain of sand and just pops right up in the air and you don't even have to open up the club face much, if nope. any. Nor do you have to get that funky foot position. You don't have to play it in the back. You don't. I mean, oh. I've seen so many, so many guys do the thing where their their feet are together, and the ball's like on the outside of their you know back foot. And yeah, you look at that and you're like, "What are you doing?" Exactly. It just drives things down there. It just doesn't work. You you know the club is driving into the turf into the sand and at the leading edge is 
<laughs> and the leading edge is digging and it doesn't thump. It just plows. And then the ball doesn't come out because there's no forward momentum on the club and the forward momentum on the sand. Mm-hmm. It's just a in the sand because all that weight went the wrong, all that force went the wrong direction. Yeah. Backbrush. Yep. I so heard it. the ball forward folks. I heard Left it explained from the center. I heard yeah. it explained so well. It's like, you know, in the summertime, you get into your swimming pool and you start cavorting in the pool. And suddenly you notice that there is this huge spider just sitting there on the surface of the water. <laughs> Are you going to touch the spider and get it out of the pool? No. <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going to cup your hand at an angle. Yep. And you are going to come into the water behind the spider and hit it so that the water splashes out of the pool, taking the spider with it, where hopefully somebody with some flip-flops can squash it. (laughs) You, sir, are speaking some very plain truth. (laughs) You're afraid of spiders. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's perfect. It's a perfect description. We've all done it. Mm-hmm. We've all done that. When we go splash somebody with a face full of water, we're always putting our hand in there and we're always skimming the surface just a little bit below the surface right. so that we can gather up sand or, or water on our hand and go forward with it. And it's exactly what we're trying to do in a bunker. Mm-hmm. But it has to be downward and forward motion. That's why that putting the ball way back in the stance thing just doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Because then the sand is or the club is just driving downward and not forward. There needs do to be something. Subs- do you subscribe to, to, to having a specific distance? Like some people say, put it two inches uh, left of center. So there's a really good idea here. Okay. Sometimes it's three. Okay inches forward. Here's the thing. Let's first identify what center really is. (laughs) Let's call it the middle of your body, your spine. Let's call it that. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people have this bad definition of the word center and they call it halfway between your feet. But a lot of people change their foot angles Mm -hmm. in the sand. Yeah. And then they go halfway between their feet and sometimes they do and sometimes it looks funny. Let's just pick a real center center of your body, mm-hmm. right? Even if you're going to angle yourself funny or you're not. You know, your belly button Let's, happens to be in the center of your body. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely, the belly button is pretty darn close to the actual center of mass in mm-hmm. you as well. It's actually just a little bit below. It's like where your belt buckle would be, but that's a couple inches away. Right. Anyway, so think about ball position, left of center, but it's close to the front hip joint. So those lefties I just mentioned, front hip joint. Mm-hmm. That would be your right for you lefties in the crowd. But for the most of us, it's the left hip joint. Why did I say there, you ask? Because if you stood in the bunker and there was no ball there, and you made a regular golf swing, and your club penetrates the sand and makes a divot, here's what you're going to see. If you made a regular, normal, I'm going to just go swing my club, it's going to plow in the sand kind of a golf swing. You're going to see the sand or the club 
entered the sand right at center, belly button, mm-hmm. sternum, right, spine. It's going to enter the sand there. And then it's going to go down into the sand while it's moving forward. And the deepest part of that divot of sand that it takes out is adjacent to your left hip joint. And then it starts to go upward and out after that. And the exit is farther out than that. Right. So it enters, it gets deeper, and then it gets shallower and exits. But the deepest part is at the left hip joint, the front hip joint. Mm -hmm. That's why we want to put a ball there, because if we can always swing through the sand with ease and get our club to bottom out below the golf ball, the sand flies up, the ball flies up, it goes out, everybody's happy. So if you're struggling to get out of the bunker, first things first, understand the hinge and thump motion is hinge the wrist, stand the club up in the air, and then thump the ground, thump thump the sand right below the ball, which happens to be at the left hip joint. And you, sir, will be not only out of the bunker, but happily because the thing went high, it floats out, it lands like a butterfly with sore feet. Love that line. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. People love that. They're like, how in the world did it get that easy? All I did was get you to do the only thing that you must do in these short game shots. Get the club below the golf ball. Mm -hmm. That's your job. I don't care where which club face position angle it is, closed or square or open. Don't care. Ball's got to get up and out. Mm-hmm. Right? That's first. If you don't get that piece done, nothing works. Right. But it all works, closed face, square face, open face, if you do get it below there. But people say, oh, no, no, you have to do this thing in the bunker. I got to, you know, as soon as I step in the bunker, my club face has to flip open. No, it does not. What has to happen is your club has to get below the ball. Mm -hmm. That's what has to happen. Right. So let's make sure that we make it easy on ourselves. You want to know how to make it easy on yourself to hinge and thump? Take your right hand. And if your right hand, your trail hand, the one that's on the backside of the shaft, Mm -hmm. you left it out there. And make sure it's not set too far under, too strong. Okay. Let's make sure that it's set where the hand is on the side of the club or even slightly on top of the club weak position, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Why you ask, we need to make sure the wrist hinges upward to get the club to stand upward. And we need to make sure that the wrist unhinges downward fast and hard. A hand on the side will do that. And a hand twisted slightly more on top will also do that. And when it unhinges downward, it's actually got some downward force to it, thus helping out the thump part of the hinge and thump. Exactly, because it has to work in tandem. You can't hinge and not thump, and you can't thump without hinging, or you're going to mess it up. It's tough. And you'll go back to pulling a putter out and just hitting the hell out of the ball, hoping you, you hit it hard enough to get it up on the green. I've, yeah. I've played with people who do that too. Up the ramp, bank it off the lip, hope it's still got some forward momentum on it and get you on the green and lucky. 
That's right. Because that's that's just giving up, man. That's, that's just plain giving up. Okay, we got more. We got more. You got more problems. We got more solutions. And we're coming right back. Stick with us. We're all those weekend golf guys. Do you use golf for your business? Should you use golf for your business? Would you like to use golf for your business? Back Nine Advisory Board on Facebook. Go there. It's absolutely free. Join now. And we are back those weekend golf guys. I'm John Ashton. He is Jeff Smith, uh, golf magazine, top 100 teacher. And uh, damn proud of that to have him uh, on our side. And guy who actually gives me advice for free every now and again. I owe you another couple pizzas, man. <laughs> I'll take them. <laughs> Anyhow. I'll take them. Okay. I, I have a, a question that uh, some other people have uh, posted to me during the breaks. When you're talking about green speed and you're talking about putting against the grain or with the grain or whatever, is there yeah. any way to quantify the difference in speed between going with and, and against the grain? That's hard. Yeah. I mean, is it just something that you have to it's practice? Hard. It does. There's so many people that want an answer that's so definitive without ever practicing it. I'll ask that person the question, is there a way that you could quantify how hard I have to shoot a layup versus a uh, shot from the the top of the key uh, versus a three pointer from the wing. No, you just you just let your brain do the math on that exactly. and trust it. Yeah. It's so hard to try to spit out an answer. It isn't that I don't want to give an answer. Right, I do want to give an answer, but that question comes from someone who just doesn't practice it to get the understanding that there is a difference, but there isn't some mathematical formula. I get this a lot because I teach a lot of engineers. They all have engineer brain. Mm -hmm. and they're always thinking in terms of quantifying things with a formula. Is it always one and a half times the resistance? <laughs> I don't know. Uh -huh. But that's the kind of thing that I get a lot. Here's, here's what I know about golfers. One, they're an inquisitive bunch nonetheless. But the smarter people are, they are problem solvers. And in golf, a lot of times they think that they can get more successful merely by intellectually solving the problem and not going out and practicing it. Wrong. This is where the eggheads that are golfers mm -hmm. don't ever get good because they're too busy trying to solve their problem in their own way that's made them successful in their career. But they have to get out there and do it enough to do that. It's the same question as how hard do I hit this tennis ball with this racket to get it just barely over the net yeah. or very much over the net or all the way into the back. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with a golf ball too. When you were talking about speed control, when you get to the control, the speed, the, the speed is controlled by how hard you hit the ball with the putter. You have to practice that to know what force you need to use to get the ball to move at the appropriate well, I need speed. to know how many jewels are in that force. <laughs> oh, a couple of rubies, a diamond or so. <laughs> I mean, this is what's going on, right? Exactly. This is where I love engineer brain because I get to turn it on them and say, okay, how would you quantify that thing over there? And then make them realize that there really isn't a way to quantify it. But that's what they're always after. And it's always the smarter the person, the more questions that they ask. And that's great because they're trying to solve for X before they get over a ball, which right. I love. Mm -hmm. I hate it when they're trying to solve for X when they're over the ball. That's terrible. <laughs> right. right. So I love engineer brain. 
because I want to sit down with them and say, let's talk about this, not near a golf ball. And then you can solve for X and your brain can be satisfied as much as it can be. And once you realize that some things do not have an answer that applies to all, then all of a sudden you realize that's the the allure of this game is the judgment of how do you get your brain to get your body to hit the ball hard enough? You got to think about things like unless you're Travis Kelsey, if you were sitting on a pitcher's mound to throw a ball to the catcher, your brain would do the calculations without you having to think about it. And it's the same thing with a putter, but you have to practice it. It's a term that a lot of us use incorrectly. We call it muscle memory. It's not really muscle memory. It's trusting the brain to do the math correctly. And I tell people, look, you're using your supercomputer, the one that does the thing when you're walking and talking and all the things that you do on a day-to-day basis that you are not consciously thinking about to make these motions. Mm-hmm. Some part of your brain working that whole thing, and you are not conscious of it. And that's the part that we need to let work. Because if you become conscious of it and then try to therefore consciously control it, you're done. It doesn't work. Could you imagine a concert pianist or a guitarist, for God's sake, actually thinking overt thoughts about how to move while trying to move? Second and finger goes hard. here, middle finger goes on this fret. Yes, no, it wouldn't right. work. Not at all. No, not going to work. And that's where they get it. They get the concept of, okay, that won't work. And then what I do is I pick up a golf ball and I toss it to them and they catch it. And then I move around and they toss it back to me and they and they do. And every one of them, every man, woman, and child does this and I'm moving. And yet they lead me and they hit me right in the hand that I'm holding out. And they do it almost every time. And then I get closer and I get farther. And then I'll go up and I'll ask him, how did you do all that without thinking? And they say, I don't know. I said, I understand. Yeah, you were just none of us do consciously thinking, but you were right. thinking the brain That's was right. working overtime. Man. The supercomputer was working its magic. It was doing all that calculus and calculating and all that kind of stuff. One of the things that Jeff has helped me with is putting. And one of the things that I do now is a definite and repeatable pre-shot routine, even on the putting green which is walking to find out if it's uphill, downhill, you know, around the town town or whatever. And then I will look at the hole and take a couple practice swings with my eyes looking at the hole. Those calculations are going on in my brain as to how hard to hit that ball. Isn't that amazing that it just does that? Yeah, it does that. And then you just, you know, address the ball and do it. And you'd be surprised how close you can get that ball to that hole. It's uncanny. Yeah. The skills that we have. But let me go back to those intelligent folks, the eggheads. Mm-hmm. Y'all listen up. You can't overthink you. this one. Okay. You can't overthink this one. It doesn't work. Yeah. I got to tell you, once and for all, you can't solve for X here. So don't create a problem to solve in a time frame that you cannot solve it. Right. Don't do it. You're making yourself nuts and you're making yourself worse. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're making me wealthy. So what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> this, this information will not be shared <laughs> for paying customers. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it is very difficult to get it down uh, without practicing. You just can't go. 
you know, and there's nothing worse than a reformed drunk, right? So this this is me telling you to practice. And you go, yes. John, what are, what are you talking about? Um, do as I say, not as I do. But you cannot get the feel. You can't get the muscle memory, if you want to call it that, although that's not what it is. But still, unless unless you have some familiarity with the feel you have of swinging the putter and making contact with the ball, and as a result, how far that ball will roll according to the conditions on which you are putting. Right. You just got to you got to do it over and over and over again, especially when you play like, like recreational different. golfers do on different courses. That's I what mean, I was about to say. It's always different. You go from one yeah. course to the next, and yeah. it's different. Yes. yes, it's different in the morning and the afternoon on the same dang golf course. Why? Because yes. the grass is growing. It's growing. It gets wetter. How it's wet about, in the morning, drier in the afternoon. Yes. Yeah. Right. How about the change of conditions of the day? Got real windy in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Dried them out. Yeah. Oh, that's different. And so the one more gets cut in the morning, and that's the time that is probably the most predictable because they probably grow at different rates too because of the conditions they're under. <gasps> Ooh, that's also a truism. Which is why when you say how fast is this gonna putt gonna be, he goes, it depends. Let me. <laughs> and this is the as accurate as he can possibly get. But let me ask you one, one quick, quick question. That means getting a two-word answer. Uh, You know, I forgot the question. So never mind. We'll just keep moving on. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, You know the answer. So, yeah, I know. It it depends. That's why I'm not going to ask it, because it would just give me that answer, and I'd get frustrated, and it's not a good way to end. So... Uh, frustrations abound trying to get out of sand traps, greenside bunkers, hinge and thump. Now, don't try a hinge and thump from 160 yards away in a fairway bunker. That's not going to work unless you just want to pop it out to the fairway and have a shot from there. That's a totally different subject, which we can address in another week or two. Hinge and thump gets you out of the greenside bunker. And then the putting just practice under different conditions and get a feel, and you will be a much better, closer putter. I found another thing that works, too, is don't try to sink your first putt. Just try to get it close. Work on speed. And you'll find that you're Speed control is the most important thing on the first putt. Yeah, and you will find that if you do the speed and not concentrate on putting it in the hole, you will sink a lot more first putts. Trust me on that one, because you will not anymore have that never up, never in mentality. Keep that in mind the next time you go out to play some golf. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.